jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle, murking fool, like squirtle and cake boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. Flip the coin, toss, it's draws, I'm out of loss. How my brains get busted, slinging letters into couplets, muck up the subjects. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about books. I've been thinking about a president who doesn't read them. I've been thinking about reading them and writing them. I've been thinking about gender roles, sexuality, intimate relationships, femininity, masculinity, and escapism. Books that make you brave, books that make you hopeful, and books that make you sad. Books you want to cherish forever and those you want to throw across the room when you finished. Books you feel uplifted by, challenged by, and those that let you down. I've been thinking about sex and romance, and I've been thinking about the romance novel. Where we get our sense of what's possible and what's expected. A fanciful frolic or something much, much more. My guest today is Candace Terry, the author of Sassy Contemporary Romances. Born in Southern California, she now lives on a farm in Idaho. She's worked in a Hollywood recording studio and now, at times, can be found chasing down steers. She's passionate about writing and writing about relationships, the push and pull in search of love, and the security one finds in their own happily ever after. Welcome, Candace, and thank you so much for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you for having me here. So I've got to start with asking, do you believe in happily ever after, and have you found it? I do believe in happily ever after. I always hope everybody finds theirs. I did find mine. I'm married to an amazing man um, who literally tolerates me. That's all I can say (laughs) So I was going to ask you what it looks like, and and that might be where it starts. He tolerates me. I'm guessing yeah. it's more than that. Yeah, it's. I mean, we um, were a second marriage for each, and so we learned from the first and went into the second one. That's like we never say the D word, which is divorce. We never talk about that. And, you know, marriage is not easy, but um, I know that he's my best friend. I know he's always got my back, and I know that he just will roll his eyes when I say, I'm going to be working until 3 a.m. again. So... <laughs> Okay, understanding. you never say the D word, but does it cross your mind, even though when it crosses your mind, you know you're not acting on it? Are there times when you think, oh, I am so over this, I am so over him, and we're done? No, because I honestly, if I think about my life without him, it's very cold, very dark, very empty. And so, like I said, he's my best friend. And so I never I never think about, I, it, which is not to say I don't get mad at him. <laughs> But, you know, it's like uh, I've kind of learned to just roll with the punches. I've learned from uh, past experiences. I've actually learned a lot from the books that I write, too, which is kind of odd. But, um, yeah, no, I never, I never think about it. I just I, – some, I have run away from home before uh, for a couple of days just to get a, a break. And, you know, I've laid and watched TV and ate ice cream in a hotel room for a couple of days. But – Never thought about divorce. And, and with a romance novel in your hand? Always. <laughs> oh, or at least two. You know, I've always got a couple of couple going at the same time. And what's life on a farm in Idaho like compared to growing up in Southern California and working in Hollywood? Well, I don't know that I ever actually asked to live on a farm in Idaho. But um, it was quite different. I grew up in Southern California about 20 minutes at that time. You could get to the beach in about 20 minutes I spent my entire teenage years on the beach in Seal Beach, California. Um, we had a pool in our backyard, so it was just fun and you know warm sunshine and all that. And we decided to move here for our daughter to give her a little bit more expanded view of life. 
And we moved here when she was eight years old. And my husband said, I want property. And we ended up with five acres, which to some people, that's not much. To me, it's a lot. But we raise alfalfa and we've had steers, we've had horses, we've had sheep, we've had pheasants, chickens, you name it, we've had it. Uh, our daughter ended up being in 4-H FFA and she was a three-time rodeo queen. So it's just been a completely different existence than what I grew up with the typical Southern California. I cruised the boulevards when I was a teenager in California. So this is, I mean, I can cruise my field now, but you know, the livestock doesn't care. So I, so Whittier, Whittier Boulevard, were you cruising yeah, Whittier, Whittier Boulevard? Boulevard? Flower Boulevard, yep, it was. We, all of them. I've got to say, um, I, one day in Colorado, I did wrangle some steer, and that was that was the one. I probably one of the highlights of of life so far. It was exciting. It seemed yeah. romantic as well. It's pretty fun. I have some video of our steers. Um, we got a really great bunch this last time and they would just like laugh at me, but they just kind of trot back to, they'd escape. We had one, we named him Bandit and he escaped his pen. He just lift the whole fence and walk under it and let all his buddies out. But he'd also hold the hose, water hose while we were filling the trough for his buddies too, to feed them. And it was just, it was the craziest thing. Yeah. So. And he gets snickering the whole time too. They've oh, got yeah. some attitude. So oh, let's yeah, talk. Always, a, oh, go ahead. The one who's home you know, who has to get them back in the corral. So so let's talk a little bit about writing. Uh, what led you to writing in general? And then we'll talk a little bit about what led you to writing romance novels. Um, writing in general kind of started when I was younger, much, much younger, like in my adolescent years. Um, I had a very difficult uh, family life. My father was an alcoholic and my mom was like basically dedicated to him and and making his life good. He was a he was a very wealthy business owner, and um, but they fought all the time, and it was very dysfunctional. And so writing was kind of my way to put my thoughts down and to escape and to realize that if I could put things in words, I could let them go. I could let that that hurt or that you know or a passion go uh, somewhere other than just to you know damage my myself. So. I kind of started there, and then um, in college, uh, I tried <laughs> drama, and my um, drama teacher, professor, said, you know, your acting really sucks. You might want to stick with the writing because you're really good at that. So I'm like, okay, whatever, and I just kind of threw it aside. And then after my daughter was born, um, I, I, my, a friend of mine gave me a bunch of romance novels and said, you need to read these because you're up all night because your daughter won't sleep. And so you need to read these because they'll make you feel good. And I'm like, okay. So in the middle of the night, I started just devouring these as I was rocking her, trying to get her to sleep. And I just got an idea for um, a, a historical romance, which is not what I write. But, um, and I s sat down and I started writing it on an, I mean, we had, you know, word processors that we didn't even have Max and all that stuff. And I just started handwriting and, and uh, writing out the, the story. And it took me three years to write that first book. And were you a reader growing up? I was thinking what you said about the writing. And I think not only does it let you maybe deal with the conflict that's going on in your life and express those feelings rather than shutting them down, it also lets you control part of your life as a writer, right? You can control what, what, what the characters do once you write about that. Were you a reader growing yeah. up? 
I was, I'm, I've always been an avid reader. Um, I still have a lot of the books I read as a kid. I, I, I just couldn't let them go because they meant so much to me. It was an escape for me, you know. Um, I could put my face in a book and, and read those words and escape to, to places. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's the absolute truth. You know, when your parents are in the next room and they're yelling and screaming at each other, you either sit there and listen to them and get, t- uh, you know, upset about it and at five, six, seven years old, not be able to do anything about it, or you escape from it. And so that's what I did. And books have always just been there for me. You know, I, I could, I found friends in books. I, I have books that I can, you know, I, I've read 10 times because I love them so much because of the feeling that they gave me. So I've always been an avid reader and I, I still am. It's crazy. I don't have time to read, but I read it. So, so being an avid reader, was there any sort of uh, eyebrow raising or eye rolling when she suggested you read the romance novels or were you like, okay, I'll, I'll give those a try as well? No, because um, I, I, I never rolled my eyes at anything like that. A, because I, I know um you know, to put a story together like that really takes something for a person. It really takes heart or imagination or whatever. So I've never, I never ever rolled my eyes at it. I was thankful for the escape while I was up at three in the morning, four in the morning and had to go to work at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, I was really happy for that um, escape, not that to take anything away from my daughter, because I loved holding her, but it was tough. You it know, is she tough. slept through the night until she was two years old. So um, I, I never rolled my eyes ever because I um, I actually kind of read some like love stories when I was a teenager, you know. Um, and so I still have those books. It's crazy. But uh, so I'm open to anything. I read anything. So let's talk a little bit about the process of writing a romance novel. We'll dig deeper into to more about romance novels, the world of it, and, and what a contemporary romance novel is. But just with kind of the basics of it to begin with, as far as when you're writing it, is it different from writing something else? Is there a formula you're following? Is the story arc the same? I would love for there to be a formula because it would be so much easier. Um, the stories I write were not actually what I intended to write. Uh, it took me 22 years to become a published author, 22 years of writing books, 22 years of sending them to publishers, to agents, and getting rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. It took me tw- literally took me 22 years to get that phone call that says, we want to buy your book. So That was um, a good day. <laughs> it was a really good day. <laughs> um, I never thought it would come, but I'm kind of I'm a stubborn Scot, so I I never give up. But um, it, it they weren't the books that I I were writing was writing in the beginning. I was really trying in the beginning to write for Harlequin, which is sometimes a shorter book, real sassy, real fun. But they have a formula and they have a voice, and you've got to fit in that you know, that voice that they, they want because they, they really want their authors to all kind of have that same vibe. And I just never fit in that box. And I, I read Harlequin books all the time because I love them, but I couldn't write for them. And I tried for years. So I finally, after the 22 years, I said, I, I took, cried and I told my husband I'm gonna quit I just can't take it anymore and he said why would you stop doing something you feel passionate about I said but I'm losing the passion because you can only be told no so many times before you go okay throw up your hands 
He said, look, he said, just write one more book. Write the book you really, really, really want to write. Don't try to please anybody. Just please you as the, as the writer. I said, well, I've never done that. He said, well, do it now. So I did. And that's the book that sold. So that book did not follow any formula. It did not follow anything that anybody had done before. And um, it's a lot harder than I really imagined in the beginning because you have to, as a writer, you have to be willing to let your characters take over and let them write the story. You're not writing it. They are, which doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But that's the way it happened. And, and you hadn't been doing that before, before Correct. you had been writing the characters. Oh, my gosh. Correct. Have you seen La La Land? Your your life is, is a, a mirror image. <laughs> I have not. I don't get to go to the movies very often. So, so um Let's talk then a little bit about the difference between the contemporary romances that you write and then the Harlequin romance. As far as I'd noticed that there are a lot of series and the, the latest book of yours, which we'll get into uh, deeper on in just a minute, that was a series, a Sunshine Creek Vineyard novel sophomore from the series. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to have to have her explain that. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's there's a huge difference between what I write and what Harlequin um, publishes um, or Harlequin type books publish. Um, they're more generated toward um, not they, it's not not to say they don't dig too deep, but it's a lot of really fast pace to keep the story moving and staying in line with a general story idea. And I don't do that. I, like I said, I let my characters take over. Um, and sometimes I'm very surprised by the turns that they take literally surprised. Um, when I was writing one of my, um, uh, second, uh, my, uh, sweet Texas books, something happened and all of the books up to that point were leading to this, but I had no idea that this was coming. I don't know why, but I could see when I finally hit that, that, they were all leading to this big reveal. And I was like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So, so I just go sideways sometimes on a story. And that means that um, it's an unexpected turn or a twist in the story that I didn't expect. And you usually don't see those in a Harlequin book. You, you know, what's going to happen from the beginning to the end. You're pretty darn sure of every twist and turn those are going to take, not just like them, because like I said, I, I appreciate them and I read them and I respect all the authors because I know they work just as hard as I do, if not harder. Well, do you set out to write a series or is that something that just happened as well? No, I set out. Um, actually, the first book that I wrote that was the book of my, I'll call it the book of my heart, was Second Chance the Sugar Shack. Um, I actually only intended to write that one book, but um, I thought, well, let me just see if I can put this into a series and maybe that'll make it more attractive to um, the editor. Um, I hadn't, I had met personally an editor um, at a conference and she requested to see it. And so I thought, well, maybe if in the proposal I put, so that was why I came up with the series idea and it actually ended up being far better than if it had just been a one, you know, standalone book. So yeah, I do intend to write them a series and I do know how many books there are going to be in a series when I first start because I write about families and so each sibling gets a 
get a book. book. And is and is trifecta? Does that have something to do with? Uh, I when uh, a review on your book said it was a perfect romance trifecta. And so does that mean one of three, or is trifecta something else? Um, I think that they mean that you know it, it, it hits all of your emotional um, uh, trifecta. I think they're talking about the emotional side of it. It hits heart, home, you know, family, uh, that kind of thing. Because I, I, I'm an only child. I write, but I write about big families. I, I don't know why, but um, I, I write about really big families, and so I think that that's what they meant by a trifecta. And then it also said you were the first to transition to Avon's traditional live out of the impulse digital original line, and I had no idea what that meant either. But it sounded good and impressive. Yes. Um, what happened was when um, they offered to buy my first book, um, for which I'll be forever grateful, uh, they didn't have a place for it in their print line, which is the books that go into Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and all of that, and at the time, Borders. Um, so what they what they did was they generated an e-book first, and then a print book, like a print-on-demand almost kind of a thing. And I actually, when they offered it to me, I was, my, my editor laughed. She goes, you were disappointed. I go, I kind of was because it wasn't telling me that my books were going to be in a store. And I wanted to walk into Barnes and Noble and see my book on the bookshelf, you know, so. And, and had that been a vision you'd been carrying for those 22 years? I'm just wondering about one, the, the stubbornness, but also the. The stick to itness, right? That's a long time, no matter how stubborn you are, to keep plugging away. Did you have a vision? That, and was that it, seeing the book in the bookstore? Yes. That to, to an, an author, that is your, a reward, not only communicating with your fans and your readers, but walking into a bookstore, which is harder and harder to do these days, and seeing your book on a bookshelf, I mean, imagine if you're an author and you walk in and your book, your book that you wrote, that you slaved over, that you cried over, is sitting next to Nora Roberts' book or Susan Elizabeth Phillips' book. You know, it's like, oh, it's like an out-of-body experience. <laughs> you can't explain it to anybody. So that's a reward for you. Um, seeing it now, it's just, um, it, people literally, authors will go to the bookstore or to Target or whatever to see their books on book when their book releases that day because it's so exciting to see it because that's like that's like the the cheese for the mouse, you know. So that's the reward and and then all the obviously the accolades that you can get, but it, that's the reward of seeing it on a shelf. That that's the final product. It's up there for everybody else to be able to read it, you get to share your story with everybody. Oh, yeah, I just think I'd sit in the bookstore, Target all day long, just put a chair and just <laughs> look at my shelf. I, yeah, I cried the first time I saw my book in the bookstore. It was like, I, I just, I stood there and cried and this poor guy next to me is looking at, you know, the action adventure books or whatever. And he's like, are you okay? And I go, this is my book. This is my book. This is my book. I couldn't even talk. I was so excited. So it was a dream. So when I got that first book contract, it was tough because I didn't, I wasn't going to get that dream, you know, but I wanted to write my story so bad because I loved that first book so much. And so um, my agent at the time, she goes, look, she goes, the sun is rising on eBooks, it's setting on print books, which has become a fact. Um, she says, take a chance. What, what else can you do? But take a chance. I said, okay. 
and um, it was pretty a pretty popular uh, book. And so uh, when I got done with the third book, they offered me the print contract for traditional mass market. So that was even more exciting. That was like selling it the first time all over again. So it says the hallmarks of contemporary romance, quirky, memorable setting, sizzling, sexy scenes, um, your style, fun and refreshing. Candace is an absolute delight. I laughed, I sighed and fell in love. An infectiously joyful writing style that you have a zest for life and love and off the page too. I want to talk a little bit now about your book that's just about to come out. Um, perfect for you. And maybe you could give us a, a brief synopsis of the story and the characters. Um, it's actually, it's the second book in the series. The first book starred um, the um, second brother. There's five brothers. Um, and I seem to do that a lot, five brothers. And um, he was, the first book was A Better Man. And that was a hockey player. And he had to, he basically blew everything off to become this big hockey star. And uh, upon the tragic death of their parents, he comes back home to kind of try to get back with the family. And there's all kinds of, you know, skeletons that are coming out of the family closet and the, the family vineyard has gone, you know, it's in the red because the father, well, they find out eventually that the father has been pilfering money off of the, out of the vineyard and just all these things, a teenage sister that's in trouble and all this. So the first book would dealt with the beginnings of that. And the second book is, um, uh, Declan, he's the, um, he's the twin brother to the brother from the last book. And he's always been like all business, no play. He's, um, dyslexic. And so he never let anybody know, but he had to work really, really hard to try to overcome that. So he's this financial wizard but he still struggles, but he doesn't let anybody know. So he's just become all business, no play. And he's kind of done the same thing, just kind of, you know, forgotten the family. And he lives in Southern California. So when all these bad things start happening, happening after their parents die, he decides he's got to go back home and help um, pull the, the vineyard out of the, you know, out of the red and put it back into the black. And, and uh, his, his uh, executive assistant, suggest they go on a road trip she wants him to break loose and have a little bit of fun and she knows that he needs that he doesn't have anything going on in his life other than work so she's kind of introducing him to breaking loose and having a good time um, and she's had a really tragic life so fun is really important for her so that's kind of what the the, the story is based on is her pulling him out of that um, just that box that he's put himself in emotionally and, and everything else. So. And so do you have brothers, Candace? I am an only child. Ah, so, so that's, that's not the reason for, for all the brothers. No, I, I laugh because uh, in my first book, there were three siblings. And my second book, there were, or my second series, there were five siblings. And in this one, there are six siblings. So my husband comes from a, a family of six kids. And so I kind of like, I've created in my mind my per the perfect families that I would want to belong to, um, but I have no experience <laughs> other than being <laughs> married to my husband. I have no experience. And, and so are those conscious choices, are you thinking about the messages you're sending or that you're solidifying or, or the images that you're creating as you're writing the characters or as they're telling you what to write? Um, I, I think it is. It's a subconscious, you know, subconscious thing that I'm doing because... Um, 
family is the most important thing in the world to me. Um, I, I am, uh, we have five generations of, of single child, single children in my family and they're all girls. So, um, it's like, it's, break the chain, you know, <laughs> let's, let's bring some more kids in. But as of right now, my grand, it's up to my granddaughter now, but, um, I think it's because uh, family is so, so important to me uh, because they're the ones who are going to stand by you and they're going to be the ones who are going to, who are going to pull you out of the holes that you fall into through, throughout life. And if you get sick, they're going to be the ones I've just seen some examples through my husband's family that what would they have done if they had not all pulled together and, and made that happen, you know? So I think that it's an underlying thing for me that family comes first and family's the most important. And so that's what I incorporate into my books. You talk about um, being interested in the push and pull of love and relationships. And I thought that was evident right off the bat in this book, that the, the various um, challenges that all the characters are facing with that push and pull, uh, various choices. Was that something you were purposely writing about in this book? Well, the, the characters kind of create themselves. I kind of give them a general, hey, he's, he's a financial wizard and, you know, whatever. But it's kind of the circumstance that brings them to, to who they are. Um, and so I think that um, sometimes it's a conscious thing and sometimes it's not with me. Um, with Declan, I honestly wrote more than half the book before I realized that his underlying issue was that he was dyslexic and that that set the tone for him throughout his whole life. Uh, because when the other kids, when his brothers were all outside goofing off, playing and, you know, having a good time, he had to sit and focus and work really hard on learning to read and learning to use because his numbers and his his letters were all jumbled and he couldn't. So he had to work really, really hard. But I didn't realize that until halfway through the book. So sometimes, like I said, you've got to be open to the surprises, you know, that a, a character hands you. You can't just like ignore it. So that defines that dyslexia defined him as an adult. And it defined the way that he fought against things because all he ever knew you know, was uh, working hard. That's all he knew. I so. was I was aware of you managing what might have been impossible contradictions with Brooke throughout, and I was thinking, okay, how she how is she gonna navigate through these, which you did amazingly well. Um, but just the idea that at one point you say she's got a tiny waist, but then later on she's she's gone for a run, but then she's eating cinnamon rolls, um, and she's. She's, you know, he's happy that she's not having a salad one time when they go out to dinner. Instead, she has a huge plate of ribs. But then I thought, but also he's again and again very much attracted to and commenting on how hot she is and what she looks like. And he was also happy that she didn't take a long time to get ready when they have their first sort of set off on their, their adventure. But she looks great and her hair is fabulous. Yeah. Are, well, are you um, conscious of those as you're writing? Yeah, and with her, she's um, she's a professional woman, and so she has to look her best when she's at work. And she wears the, you know, she's not obsessed about her weight, but she has to look her best because she's dealing with people with a lot of money, you know. It's and she's 
She's working in a financial industry. So she has that side of her. But when she's at home, she doesn't straighten her hair. She's got curly hair. She doesn't straighten her hair. She's got her little dog that she takes everywhere with her. And she's got, you know, her favorite thing, her jeans. She had a really um, difficult childhood, a really structured life in a, um, I call it the community. Um, you know, I don't want to say bad things about anyone's religion or whatever, but she she lived in very strict confinement of a religion. And when she broke loose from that, she said, I'm just going to be who I want to be. I'm just going to be who I am. So there's basically two sides to her. So she doesn't think of her weight. She doesn't think of her, uh, you know, uh, how she appears to him or to anyone else other than at work. She's professional and at home. She's just who she wants to be. She but she's also knows that if you're going to eat that cinnamon roll, you probably ought to get out and run it off afterwards. You know, she's not obsessive about food. I, I really um, I just wanted her to be kind of real and have all different aspects. And so because physical attraction is ulti- it's ultimately very important, especially in a romance, um, they have to be physically attracted or they're never going to meet. You know, there has to be some kind of chemistry or something there. So for the reader, you need to give the reader um, a vision of what your characters look like without saying, hey, this guy looks like Chris Hemsworth or, you know, or Chris Evans or whatever. And, you, you can't say those things. And so. so I hadn't thought about that, too, that the re- that the, the characters are good looking to each other. It's just going to ask you, are the men always good looking? But they always have to be good looking to the other characters, but not exactly. necessarily model lookalikes. Exactly. Um, but they have to be appealing to the reader, you know, so you have to give the reader enough description so that they they know who these people are. They want to familiarize themselves very carefully, you know, very closely with these um, these characters and these books. And if they can't visualize your character, you're in trouble because they won't relate to the book in any way, shape or form. So it is important. The physical part is important in the book, in a romance because it's important to the reader to be able to visualize them, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I was struck by the scene when she's making him dinner and he shows up really, really, really late. And she she was mad, but it was interesting to watch how she dealt with it and wondering, you know, would she have dealt with it the same way if they were further down in the relationship or or, or something else? And I thought, oh, you know, is is this... Um, because she's, she's pretty, she's mad and frustrated, but she's pretty, um, understanding and calm. And, and, and so yeah. is that just more telling of her character or of the relationship at that point or that's, that's of her values? Character. Character. That's character. Because, um, if you're, if in my mind, if you are living in such a structured environment where you're not allowed to read, um, books for pleasure, you're only around, allowed to read the Bible, say, or you're only allowed to wear this kind of a, a, a clothes, these kind of clothes, or you're only allowed to walk to the store, you can't get in a car and ride or whatever the situation may be. That's very, very, very structured. So you l- have to learn a lot of patience with something like that, or you're going to go crazy. You know, um, she escaped that, but 
for a lot of years, you know, she was a teenager um, when she escaped. So she had a lot of years behind her to live in that structured environment. So that taught her patience um, and taught her not to fly off the handle. He's a very difficult hero to deal with. Um, he, he pretty much, you know, he drove me crazy sometimes because he was so stubborn. But um, yeah, I wonder where that aspect came from. <laughs> yeah, a lot of really stubborn heroes. My husband, my I live around nothing but alpha males, so I, I deal with that stubborn thing with men all the time. But um, oh, I'm, I'm not sure you can cast that off on the men. You just told me you spent 22 years not giving up on your dream. Exactly. So yeah, so she it came from her character and who she was, and because. She was already, she'd been in love with this guy for a long time. She'd worked for him for four years. And she'd been in love with him for a long time and hadn't said anything. So she knows that he has to be pulled out from this hole, that he, you know, rabbit hole he's fallen down. And so she's going to have a little bit more impa- little bit more patience with him than yeah, maybe another heroine would have. All right, well, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and find out if there's always a happy ending and dig a little deeper into the world of romance novels. Uh, this is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I'm speaking with Candace Terry, and we're talking about her latest book, Perfect for You, and also just the, the world of, of um, living in and writing romance novels. All right, we're back. So is there always a happy ending, Candace, in romance novels, or at least in your romance novels? There's always a happy ending in a romance novel because otherwise the readers will come after you. (laughs) Um, Yes, there's always, um, not always a marriage proposal, but there's always a feeling that that couple is going to stay together forever and ever and ever. Um, So I call them happily ever after books, not so much romances because that's what it ends up Because I got a little worried. I was like (laughs) three quarters in and I was like, "Uh oh, I don't know. She might be pulling the rug out. I might have to read the next one in the series, see what happens. (laughs) No, every single one gets a happy ending. Um, But if you give them a happy ending too soon, then the reader has nowhere to go. So you have to keep that suspense up throughout the book. So let's talk a little bit about the the romance novel i read an are a 2013 article by maya rodell in mm-hmm. bustle 13 romance novels that should be on every woman's bucket list so first off i want to ask if there's a thing about bucket lists in romance novels because yours that was a it, the bucket list played a central role in this book of yours that i read actually that came from me <laughs> i have a bucket list and i got to knock off two things off my three things off my bucket list uh, in this past September. So um, I just thought uh, bucket list is not a thing in romance books. It was just in this book. So that was just a coincidence. Are you going to tell us what your two things were that that have come off the list? Yes. I always wanted to see the Northern Lights. I always wanted to see the um, glaciers. And I always wanted to zip line. And I did all three of these. We went to Alaska this past September And I got to do all three. And in the middle of the night, all by myself, out in the middle of nowhere, I was sitting in this little white plastic chair watching the northern lights and crying because it was so spectacular. And I couldn't believe I was doing it. So, And was having a bucket list, was that something that you had started as a child as well? Or was that an adult? No, that that just, um, I just turned 60. So that's just kind of come up in the um, last maybe five years or so. Before that, I've been too busy, you know, (laughs) doing other things. But there's things that I would like to do I'd like to see and so I thought you know what what how would that fit with a um, heroine who had 
been locked away from society, literally, you know, um, what, what would she want? What would she think? What would, how would she see things? And I thought, oh, this girl would probably have a bucket list of things she'd like to do because she'd been locked away for so long. So that's how that came up for Brooke. So in the article, uh, the writer says this is the second most popular category of fiction in the U.S. There were 9,000 titles published in 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, She describes them as rev up your sex drive, real life love advice, and or just pure fun. Um, She also jokes that the the titles are, are tend to be fairly similar, as do the hot covers. She also talks about it being. Uh, the stories being feminist-friendly love stories. Yeah. Is that something, do you share that view of the this type of novel? Yes, and I've had many conversations with Maya, and she's a very smart woman. Um, I do believe that there are books for uh, feminists. Um, they give women power. They give women the power to do whatever they want to do, um, be whatever profession they want to be in. Um, nothing is Nothing is off the table. They can go for it. And it doesn't matter whether they wear a size 22 or a size 4 or whatever. It, they're, they're not based on that. It's a, you know, it's a feminist view. I can do anything I want to do. And I'm gonna, I want that man. I'm going to go after that man. Or, you know, whatever she's thinking. Each heroine is obviously different. But um, I don't, I, I really hate uh, the stigma that's put on romance novels because it's always put on romance novels by people who don't read them. And so that's, that's disappointing because I think if they did read them, they'd find that they're quite spectacular and they make women um, pretty powerful and pretty strong. And, and I want to talk about that a little more because uh, I was surprised she lists 13 books that uh, she says, you know, if you're going to read romance novels, these are ones maybe to start with. And I jotted down the titles and then I jotted down the topics and mm-hmm. I'll just name a few, Devil in Winter at Any Price, Hot Heat, uh, A Bollywood Affair, Gentle Rogue. And the storylines go from what might be considered a, a typical one of Marriage of Convenience, The Wallflower and the Bad Boy. But then we've got a female med student who's a gamer and auctioning off her virginity. We've got vampires. We've got slavery, a stubborn independent woman, a fireman bromance bisexual, millennial, uh, convenient prison marriage, and an arranged marriage. And that's just a few of them. Um, So I was certainly surprised by the topics that within this story frame or story arc were being broached. Yes. It's it's, It's pretty wide. And that's the glory of a romance novel. You can set it in any time, any place with anybody you want to set it in. And as long as it's a great story that has a lot of heart in it and a a woman, a a heroine that you can believe in and that you can root for and a hero that you think, "Eh, I wouldn't mind waking up next to this guy. You know, um, it can be a totally powerful story and they all, all have a happy ending, Um, which is why women read them. Women, I mean, you've got, we have, uh, Romance Writers of America is is made up of over 10,000 women, and they're all strong, smart, savvy women. We have lawyers who write romance. We have doctors who write romance. It's not just your frumpy housewife sitting at home writing a romance novel. 
these are smart, intelligent, educated women who are writing these books, you know, and um, I mean, you when you go to the Romance Writers of America convention in the summertime, you sit around and talk to these ladies. I'm blown away by being able to even be in the, among them because they're so smart. They're very business savvy. They're very, you know, their worldviews, you know, go all over the place. And it's just I learn something from every conference I go to and get to talk to them. So it's not just um, a lot of people related to the Barbara Cartland romances where, you know, she was always photographed in her peignoir and her her ruffles and her most most of us women, you know, we ride in our sweatpants and our sweatshirts and, you know, um, and then they'll put on a a business suit and go to work and, you know, uh, save somebody's life. It's it's the craziest thing, but they're not written by people who don't have a broad view of the world. They're written by women and men. There are men also who view the world as this um, apple they want to take a bite out of. And let's go for it. Let's do this. You know, uh, I'll bring up the, the Women's March. One woman got the idea. Look how that turned out. So, you know, let's, it's, power, it's power to the women that, to be able to write these books and to give a couple a happily ever after and to give the women who read them hope that, hey, something like this is possible to happen. You keep answering my questions I'm about to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because 13 on the list was Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen's. And I was going to ask you if you thought that Jane Austen would cringe or be elated to be on the list, but I'm guessing I might know your answer, but I'm asking anyway. I think she would stand up and cheer and dance in her seat because she she opened doors, obviously. She was, um, you know, she, she had the opportunity to look out there and do something that no one else had done. She took a step outside her comfort zone to write these books. And so I think that she would cheer women, um, the women and the men who write romance novels. I think she'd be cheering them on 100%. And do you think her books always have happy endings? I might put an ish on some of them. You know, yeah. Um, it's changed since her day. Um, she wasn't, she didn't have that standard. Um, there were some that you're like, oh. You know, but um, she set a tone for her time, for her era that she she lived in, you know. And so I think that not all of hers had happy endings, but I don't I think that uh, we've come a long way since then. You know, the opportunities and the the worldviews and everything else have have completely changed since her time. So it's expected that we would not be exactly the same. We've evolved. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the audience and also the community of fans and also of writers. But let's talk a little bit about the audience. We, we hear a lot that books can change our lives. And what's your feeling about the romance novel and, and if they can change our lives for the better? And in what ways do you see that happening? Well, I think that um, sometimes... Even though we're a world, you know, that's way different from the Jane Austen's, you know, era and all of that, we still have a long way to go for women um, and equality and all of that and not to get on a soapbox. But I think there's a lot of women who they live in um, in a confinement of uh, society's expectations or their own familial um, expectations 
And there are some women, I mean, let's face it, there are some women out there who have horrible things going on in their lives. They have cancer. They have children with cancer. They have husbands who are dying. They're caring for a mother. My first book was written um, uh, as my mother, as I had learned, my mother had um, Alzheimer's. And, you know, there are children dealing with their parents who have Alzheimer's and there's so many things that, that go on in a woman's lives, and we are the caretakers for the most part. Um, and so we are this, I, was, I said for a lot of years, I, I, now I know what the sandwich generation means because I'm taking care of my daughter, I'm taking care of my family, and I'm taking care of my mother. And it was very difficult for me emotionally, um, you know, an emotional time. So there's, it's a break from... From that what they're living in at the moment and it's hopeful because of that happy ending because you can see the struggles of the characters and my characters in my books all struggle a lot so you can see the struggles of the characters but you see how they work things out you see how they work through things and that they come out the other side and they're victorious and so it's a hopeful book so that's what romance I believe does for anyone who reads it, and not just women read it. I've met a lot of male readers before. So um, it's wonderful, hopeful, happy ending, victorious. Um, you, can, you can break out of whatever it is that you're, you're going through, even if it's only for an hour. It seems more than just the escape and, and hopefulness, right? Because it really is inspiring or educating yeah. as far as what these struggles are and how the character does navigate through them. Yeah, and, and conquer I, I, them. I believe so. Um, in my second series, uh, Sweet Texas series, it revolved around five brothers who are all former Marines and their oldest brother, who they all worshipped, um, had been killed in the line of duty. And they, when they all came back, the four brothers came back home, they had to deal with that. They had to deal with the loss. And then their father passed away almost immediately after their brother. Um, and they say, well, he died of a broken heart. And um, so it was these four guys who had to come home and they had to deal with um, coming back into society and to deal with their brother's death. And then the more that the, the stories went on, and this was what I was talking about a little bit earlier, um, the, the surprises that come up um, in, when you're writing a book, it came out that um, in like the third book that this brother, their older brother, who they all worshipped, that he was gay. They had no idea because he kept it hidden because he was a soldier and he had kept it hidden. Did and you have any idea? I did not have an idea until that moment. It was the craziest thing. I told my editor, wait, you're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> but it made total sense when it came to it. So it was in the brothers and how they thought about that and how they dealt with that. And um, it was so interesting for me because, um, like I said, I don't have brothers. But growing up, I had two cousins of mine who were very, we were very close. I mean, we were like, you know, peas in a pod. And they were both gay. Um, and so I, I see things from other sides. And so that's how the brothers dealt with it. They you know, but doing that, that's, it's enlightening. And so that's why I think, you know, romances aren't just about boy meets girl, they date, they get married, they live happily ever after. It's a lot more than that. There seems to be a strong community 
among the fans and then also among the writers. Um, I, I saw mentioned somewhere a comment about your fan base and, and that they're, they're pretty uh, loyal and, and dedicated and, and excited about your work. Um, was that something you were surprised about happening or, or were you aware of that when you began writing, that that, yeah, that existed? It, it's like, uh, for me, it's like every day waking up and it's Christmas Day. Um, I have a huge um, readership and I'm so grateful to every single one of them. And I do have my own uh, review team. And I, I have to tell you that there are some of these ladies who've read my books, written me, you know, an email saying how much they love my books and they've become very good friends. Um, and so you meet them when you go to, there's another convention, the RT convention, um, you meet them cause that's for readers and you, and you get in this room full of all, and it's like an energy. It's like standing, you know, my husband, um, has beehives. He raises bees and it's like holding on to that beehive. You just feel the energy. And when you go home after talking to these readers, it's like, you've got a shot of adrenaline. You're so excited to keep going because it's a very solitary work, you know, writing, writing books. So I was surprised um, when these people started showing up to my book signings and telling me, you know, how much they love my books. I was so surprised, but I'll tell you what, I remember, I swear to God, I remember every single face that's walked up to me because it goes like, it's like a kaleidoscope for me of, of, of these faces and smiles that I see all the time. So yeah, it was a surprise. I thought, oh, I'll sell one book. <laughs> it's not about selling it. It's about reading, so, you know, because you can get a book at a library. So, I don't know if you've read Fangirl or not, um, but is, is there a, a, a sort of ongoing relationship that develops as far as what they expect of you? Have there been times you've written something and, and people are like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not what should have happened? Or what are you doing with those characters? They never criticize, but they a lot of times say how surprised they were, like with the, the brother that ended up um, being gay. They were surprised at that, but they go, it made so much sense, and we just loved how the brothers dealt with it. And, you know, they'll give me feedback, but they've I've not really, I mean, I know that there are some authors who get nasty letters and stuff from people. I have not had any of that. I've just had a lot of support and encouragement um, and laughter. I do have, even though my books sound like they have this all this serious material, there's a lot of laughter in them. I, I often put, you know, the animals or sometimes the pets or sometimes the, you know, the comic relief or whatever. Um, I have all through the Sweet Texas books, I have a, a goat named Miss Giddy who she's a fashionista. She's always got a new satin ribbon on her whatever. So I always try to put a little bit of humor in, but I've never gotten any negative feedback from any of the readers. They're always very, very sweet, wonderful, and very encouraging, but sometimes I surprise them. And are you, are you conscious about the messages you're sending and that you're crafting as far as the ideas around maybe gender roles and um, sexuality and, and those topics? I do not set out to do that. Um, like I said, the, the, the brother was a complete surprise to me. Um, it's not that I'm, I wouldn't, don't want to include any of that. It's just, I don't set out to, to write anything like that. So I'm not conscious of it going in, but I do believe that, um, each story that I write, um, does 
have some kind of a message at the end. You know, there's some kind of a theme there that, you know, in each one that makes sense to me. And so Imperfect for you, what, what is, do you see as Brooke's main conflict? What's she struggling with balancing? I think she's, she's just trying to balance um, who, who she is, who she wants to be with him, and um, where she can go in the future. And can she go into the future uh, with him or without him? And it's a lot of a struggle a lot of women have, um, like when facing, you know, separation, divorce, or, or being never being married. You know, where do I go in this life? Do I go through this life alone? Do I go through this, you know, with regrets? Um, and she's just one who she, you know, she doesn't want to live with regrets. She has, she'd lost a great part of her life in that confinement that she had. So, you know, she's got to make the decisions of whether she goes forward with or without this person that she's very much in love with. And can she be a solitary woman and be happy? Or will she find someone else? And do you see yourself as someone who lives in the world like very consciously, who's paying attention to go, what's going on and who's kind of questioning and noticing and being aware of the choices you're making and the things that you're balancing and the decisions you have to make? I absolutely am, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. It's because um, it started with um, my childhood and my mom. My mom um, literally, and she would totally agree with me if she was here today, she was raised a total hillbilly in the backwoods of West Virginia, and she had to literally start earning her own living at 11 years old. So she was a real tough cookie. I wonder where I get my stubbornness from. But um, she made it through life um, before she met my dad. She made it through life after he died. He died when I was only 11 years old, and she had to support me. And this was in the 19, early, you know, mid-1960s. She had to you know, survive, and my mom was such a survivor that um, I, she always just amazed me, which was me, what made me so sad when she came down with, um, Alzheimer's because she lost all of her, you know, her memories and everything. But I am, uh, I have a daughter and I have a granddaughter. And it's very, very important for me, for them to know what's going on and to be very, very independent women, because I would say, I might love you but I can live without you. That's my thing. I might love someone, but if they're gone, I know I'll survive. I can take care of myself. Uh, I can stand up for myself. I'm very vocal. And I want my daughter and my granddaughter to be that same way. My mom started, you know, that um, unconsciously just because she had to, she had to survive. So I want my daughter and granddaughter to be that. And I want them to pass that on because I think Women are, I, I, I always say, women are the glue that holds everything together. We hold the families together. You know, we sometimes hold the workplace together. And uh, we, it, obviously, we, we hold society together. We, you know, you can hold hands and you can walk down a street. And you might not know that person whose hand you're holding, but you know that you're together. And so that's what I, um, I raise. I, I, I write very strong heroines. They're no wimps allowed in my books. Um, they've got to be able to stand up for what they want and to go after what they want. And that's what I'm trying to teach my 
well, my daughter's 31 now, but you know, that's what I've always taught my daughter and what I'm teaching my granddaughter. Stand up on your own two feet. You don't need anybody else to take care of you. You can do it yourself. But that doesn't mean being by yourself, because certainly in your books, books they're not. Exactly. So let's, we've just got a couple minutes left. Let's just talk a little bit about the other community that seems to be a strong community, which is among the writers. Um, I noticed on your book, uh, there must be something in the Boise water, because it's Rachel Gibson, who's also from Boise, and then um, Jill Chavez, who's written over 50 books. First, I was wondering, is 50 books a lot? And then what is the the community of writers like? It's... um, I, I don't have any sisters, but I'll, I have to say that I do have sisters and I have, you know, 10,000 strong. I haven't met them all, but uh, they're out there. Um, I have never met uh, Rachel Gibson and Jill Chavez are both, you know, ladies that I know and that I love and respect them. And yes, 50 books is a lot for me. I'm on number 16, but, um, and I've read every one of hers, um, but it's a support system. Uh, I have, we have a group, uh, there's, there's five of us, there's five authors, actually, there's one is a a sister writing team. So there's six girls, ladies, but uh, we got together and we're, we support each other's work. We'll post, you know, hey, if it's release day, we post it to all of our, um, you know, readers and our followers and everything else. And if you're feeling down, all you got to do is, you know, is talk to one of them, email one of them, say, hey, or if you're in the middle of a book and you don't know where to go and it's not making any sense and you're ready to throw up your hands, you call one of these people or you email one of them or whatever. And they, it's like, they're like a lifeline. They walk you through it. I've never, I've never experienced anything like this. You would think that all these women who are in uh, professional competition with each other would be a little standoffish and feel might feel a little threatened or whatever. But I can tell you that the nicest people I have ever met are writers and they are so supportive. It's, it's a little bit mind blowing. And so is the Rita award, the next vision in your head for the <laughs> replacing yeah, uh, that of seeing one of your books in the bookstore? Yeah, I am. Um, Everybody thinks, uh, you know, oh, I would love Rita. And I enter, you know, every year we all do. But um, that would be like an icing on the cake. You know, that would be like really cool. But it's not what I, not why I write. Um, if it ever happened, I would obviously be, you know, ecstatic and um, thrilled. But that's not why I write. I write because I have the characters in my head and they need to go somewhere or probably be schizophrenic. <laughs> um, I write because I want to make my readers happy. I write because I want to make my readers feel good and to have something positive in their life. So the Rita Award is wonderful and no writer, you know, a romance writer is ever going to turn it down. But that's not um, that's not my next goal. If it happened, it it happened. And and is this where you're staying at least for a while? Do you have any sort of other books that are back there in the corner or recesses of your mind that maybe aren't a romance novel, but are waving their arms to come out? Funny you should ask that because yes, I have three more books um, to write in this particular series, the Sunshine Creek Vineyard series. But um, I'm writing right now a proposal um, for my agent for two women's fiction books, which may or may not have any kind of a romance in them. It's just all about the growth of a woman going through, you know, a trying time and how she goes through it and comes out alone um, or on the other side of it, I should say. 
So um, I, I actually have two of those that I'm working on right now. So I recently read uh, The Readers of Broken Wheel Recommend by Katerina Bivald, and she says, there's a person for every book and a book for every person. Do you agree? Um, yes. And that's why romance is so awesome is because there's a genre for everybody. I mean, I, I don't believe in vampires. But I'm good reading about them, you know. <laughs> I can open up my fantasy, you know, mind enough to go, yeah, there's vampires, you know. And um, so whether you like reading, we uh, man, male male romances are very popular right now uh, with uh, homosexual men. Um, uh, there's there's no limit to what you can read in the romance genre. There's total fantasy. There's contemporary, which deals with today. There's historical, where you can, you know, time travel into the past. Everything is out there and open. And so, yes, I believe that there's there's a book, a book for every reader, a, a story for every reader. And I, I hope this generation coming up um, continues to read. I know kids are so into their, you know, games and all that stuff. Uh, we never allowed my daughter to have one of those. And my granddaughter, she's more of a reader than she has books going in every room of the house. So I, I really hope that the newer generations will continue to read because uh, books saved me. when well, I was. There, there are different genres to dive into and different worlds to dive into. And, yes. and what a powerful feeling to be able to say, oh, this is a world that resonates with me, that I, I feel happy when I'm in, that inspires me and motivates me. And so, Candace, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And so you definitely opened up my eyes to a whole new world, and I'm very appreciative. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I've been speaking with Candace Terry about her latest book, Perfect for You, in the Sunshine Creek Vineyard novel series. And is it out yet, Candace? And, and where can people get it? Will this be one that's in the bookstore, or will that be online? Yes. These will be online and in the bookstore, so you'll be able to find it in Barnes & Noble and Walmart. Well, that's even just more exciting, I have got to say. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you.